Welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Verum, and with me today, as always, is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Gabe. You ready for today's discussion? I love me some Ender's Game. Let's get to it. Yes, that's right. So today we're going to be doing part two of our Ender's Game discussion. We're going to do a little bit more discussion on uh, Ender's time in battle school, talking a little bit about the different strategies he used and his different armies that he was a, a member in. And then we'll do some uh, discussion on the his time at the commander school where he's doing the big simulations with the large full-scale fleets and uh, his uh, time re- where he gets reunited with some of his friends from battle school. And then we'll do the end of the story as... Uh, Ender defeats the buggers and gets to go to their uh, their old planets and stuff like that. And uh, but to start off, spoiler we're talk alert. about <laughs> what's that? Oh, spoiler! Yeah, spoiler alert. But yeah, um, but to start off the discussion, we're gonna look at uh, Peter and Valentine and everything that's happening on Earth while Ender is up in the battle school learning how to be a commander. There's a little like side story um, with those two characters as they kind of adopt these um aliases or identities uh called Locke and i'm gonna butcher these demosthenes i can't why can't i remember that demosthenes demosthenes and so yeah so basically they peter and valentine realize that they're pretty smart kids and so they decide that they want to have some kind of influence or power in the world and they think that the only way that they can do this because they're kids and not adults is by hiding their identities essentially and uh writing these columns and articles and being present on like internet forums and having a bunch of discussions with people about political matters and things going on with the the wars and this and with the buggers and like this all a bunch of stuff with russia and the warsaw pact and a bunch of different just political things and they want to have influence over all of this stuff so um yeah i don't know what did you did you have any just thoughts on just peter and valentine adopting these identities and just the idea i kind of like the idea of like on the internet you can be anybody which is like it which bears itself out in today's world as well and this was written in 1985 so i don't think there was the internet in 1985 and so that's that's like some some good like foreshadowing and some good science fiction predictions uh for what uh was gonna come in the future yeah so um agreed i really want to see the future where you could have like true anonymity like that's the kind of like yeah. picture that orson scott <clears throat> scott card uh like paints is that like when they were on it was undetectable at the end of the book we learned that like only six people know that Locke and demosthenes are peter wiggin and valentine wiggin <clears throat> and this is you know mostly peter's uh venture he wants to have influence and he kind <clears throat> of coerces um valentine into being demosthenes who is kind of the rebel rouser and um Locke is the more like more of the enlightened person and speaking to the intelligentsia of the world. Mm-hmm. So they have two different followings where Demosthenes is supposed to be like inciting 
like um, people's passions and like getting them riled up about the yep. government and Locke is supposed to be like the voice of reason and it all comes out of Peter's head and his plan um, but yeah uh, so first of all I thought it was really good uh, the way that they um, were anonymous and that the, the whole plan is that the older and older that they get the more you know power that they're gonna have um, because they've already built it up and yep. then we we learned that um, Peter's big plan is to you know Ender is the Wigan. They refer to him as the Wigan, and Peter <laughs> yep. and Valentine are Wigan's one and Wigan, you know, the second Wigan. So, yep. um, uh, and they are all blessed with this high IQ, which we talked about in the first episode. And um, this is actually kind of the first time in my life I kind of mentioned this when I was. Uh, that I was reading this in college and kind of the geopolitical, um, like how there's different parts of the world and they all believe that, um, you know, it should be, you know, the world should operate in a certain way. And I never really like wrap my head around like, um, politics and geography until, um, Ender's game. And I kind of read this and I also read, a, a, um, one of the next books, which is, um, the the kind of like what happens after like the battle students go back to earth and there's yep. a different villain and his name is a shield um but yeah that like i really like the way orson scott card like um brings them in to be commentators and how they gain this like big um political following uh so that kind of helped me open my mind to how to think about things in a larger systems uh, format. Like, you know, there's different belief systems in different parts of the world. So I appreciate um, I appreciate that part of it. What about you, Tyler? What did you think? Yeah, I think I just... I enjoyed, like, hearing the two, Valentine and Peter's discussions about, like, how they want to write the characters. And, um, like, they're not even... It's not that they believe what the what they're writing it's like they're writing the characters to achieve a certain specific end and uh yeah i just think it was is interesting that they are just doing this to gain power and they're not like it's almost like they're not even doing it for themselves because they can't like assume the identity like they can't be the ones that are actually in power it's just like these made-up people that they conjured and out of their mind probably influenced by other political philosophies of the of uh history but like they can't actually be the ones in power um until the very end like peter does actually get real power in the end but on the all on the lead up to all of it they can't actually take any of the credit for what they're doing so it's a lot of like delayed gratification and just like knowing that knowing in your head that you're the one who's actually in control and not actually seeing like the like getting all of the fruit and the benefit from it um I don't know. I think I also enjoyed the, <clears throat> oh yeah. The one thing I really loved was whenever their father was starting to quote Demosthenes and they're like, oh, yep. yeah, like, why are you quoting Demosthenes? Like we, we're supposed to like, write yeah, him, Valentine so, like, did not like that. Yeah. She was like, oh, I hate this about, um, I don't know if she like, did she like have, um, like, was she against her father? Like, yeah, I mean, she was more and... enlightened, and she would she would have more like thought along the lines of Locke. But she's writing Demosthenes, and she's like picking up these threads and like the, um, you know, in the like 
the zeitgeist, the you know what the people are thinking about, and she's mm-hmm. picking up on them, and she's trying to get them riled up. And her father is one of the ones, and she was just like hoping that he would be better than that, that he wouldn't fall into like the yeah. arguments that Demosthenes made. Uh, and so yeah, she ended up being disappointed in her father because of that. Yeah, so I just I enjoyed that that it was like they didn't they wanted people to like get involved in all of the writings but they didn't want their like they were surprised that their dad did it i guess i don't know why they'd be surprised but because they were that was like what they were trying to do but they're maybe she was just like disappointed that she that her father would fall into the traps of whatever the political ideologies were of demosthenes so yeah and you almost think of that like the way of the the way of the world you know as Christians, you know, we're trying to be enlightened and, and walk in the ways of the Lord. And, um, you know, it's very easy to get because um, a lot of human motivation comes from like wanting something or, you know, feeling a sense of outrage that something isn't the way that you wanted it to be. And um, and yeah, it's it's like, you know, we're always locked in this this battle of like, you know, I was raised in the world, I was born of the world, and the world teach me, you know, teaches me that, you know, these things are good and these things are bad, and um, we have to, like, try and, you know, look to the Bible for the way to live our life. Um, yep. Yeah, that's the thought that came to my mind when I think about Locke and Demosthenes. Yeah. There was one uh, quote that I liked. I think it was... Peter who said it whenever he was trying to convince Valentine to like join him in this kind of plot in this like scheme that he was trying to do with the writings and he was saying something about how <clears throat> in times of like crisis or in times of like a lot of political tension it's people that have um, like the right words that can really make a difference and people who say the right things and can really sway people and like like it, it just goes back to like the power of the word i think we were talking about that in one of the previous episodes on like words have power i don't remember i think it was with emperor's mm-hmm. soul that we were talking about that and uh definitely so yeah i just I, I just like that it's like peter was like the violent kind of conniving kind of person and using his power like physical power to and the uh, and the kid like dissecting animals in the forest. Oh, yeah, yeah. dissecting too. animals. Like, but then he was able to just use his intellect and his his mind to to gain influence instead of doing it through like physical violence. And he had one of the quotes that he was talking about was like Hitler came to power by like using his words and by getting the the uh, the the love of the people essentially to get his power he didn't come out and just like start doing political violence at the very beginning he had to win the people's trust he had to say the right things and he had to um, make it seem like he was um, doing things for the right reasons and trying to make the country a better place before he could do all the other things that he did Um, I don't think Peter turns out to be a Hitler but that, that, well, that was he, like he turns into a hegemon. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But he wasn't like a genocidal person, at least not in this story. He wasn't. I don't know what happens in any of the other books, but. Yeah, I don't know either how he plays out as the hegemon. Yeah. Um, 
yeah but i just liked like the words have power and that just kind of goes back to like the biblical stories well like the word of god has power and like our words have power and the things that we say influence people around us and the things that we say also influence how people perceive um christianity if we make it known that we are christians and so it just is a reminder for us that the things we say matter and uh they can have influence for good or influence for bad in the world yeah, and uh, you know they even say it in one of the gospels that um, you know your your mouth is kind of like a fountain, and you can yeah. either give life to people or you can take life away from people. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's always better to be feeding people's soul and and being and to nurture them. That's you know what God wants us to do. And um, versus being the person who's always complaining all the time and bringing down um, you know the mood of the group. If you're around people who complain all the time, those are toxic people. Those are not people that will bring you light and joy and happiness because they all they can all they can focus on are the things that are going on around them that they don't agree with and that they don't see as right. And um, you know that's the opposite of humility. Um, and those are the, also the type of people who could never be happy for someone for you know getting something. You know they would you know look at those things as like a slight um yeah so yeah um we and i think we're called never to gossip around people um yep you know it's all about you know tyler i think you said it was about the heart you know when we talk about people like where is our heart um in yep. um you know when we're when we're discussing things you know is this a conversation i need to vent and get things out or is it like well i vented 20 minutes ago but i'm still talking about the same problem or the same thing that's not going to bring bring about anything productive yeah um yeah i think one last thing with the the lock and demosthenes section is uh just, like just the power of like ideologies and people following ideologies because it wasn't that they like people like the Locke and Demosthenes like their ideologies were and their their words are what people why people followed them it wasn't because of who they were as people because they didn't know who they were as people they just knew what they were saying with their in their columns and what they were talking about with what they thought and what they believed and that was and that like definitely plays itself out in like our world today like people they they do follow individuals but they also just follow ideologies and like you can go with like things like communism or socialism or um uh i don't know what's an example on the right like i don't even know like christian like nationalism or stuff like that where it's like um like you can just get wrapped into like these ideologies and really have tunnel vision on what the ideology is instead of like trying to think independently about situations and instead of just like trying to uh, reason and think for yourself, it's more of just like, what does the ideology say instead of like, what is, what do I think or what does the Bible say or any of those kind of things? You just get like wrapped around the axle on whatever this person wrote like thou- yeah, hundreds really of years ago. Um, and you're, you're you're less focused on what you believe and you're more focused on what the ideology says you should believe instead of believing something for yourself right and uh taking the time to be you know if we're pursuing christ you know are we taking time to look at the bible and seeing what the word says um because the word is truth and the word comes from god um you know um 
taking that time to do the self-exploration and instead of looking to the ideology, like let's look to God and ask yeah. God what he thinks we should do in a given situation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So now let's move to the next topic for this episode. We're just going to talk a little bit about uh, Ender's time in the battle school. We talked a little bit about it during the last episode um, with some of the things that happened during his time there. But we want, I think we wanted to talk a little bit more specifically in this episode about some of the different strategies that he used within the different battles that he was in. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if we really have a lot of strategy for like the launch army or like, it wasn't really a launch army. It was more of like the, his launches group where there was like a lot of training. Um, but I think we really only get the the true kind of strategy kind of stuff coming out whenever he gets to become a an actual soldier in a salamander. Although he doesn't really get used a lot in salamander because of who was that bone bone so was that with salamander bones of Madrid. Yeah. Yep. And we talked about his pride and how um, that kept him from using a resource that God had given him, and he just kind of like was like, I'm not going to use you, and it was all out of pride and. It, yeah turned out not to be good for him (laughs) yeah um i don't know what did you think of just him in the launches group and him trying to like learn things really quickly i liked how him and uh a lie kind of started like this little friendship the first time they were in the is i don't know what you call it like the battle room or whatever where all the, the the where the no gravity is and they're kind of bouncing things off of each other and figuring out how to do things quickly where a lot of the other kids are just kind of like floating around in space and like not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that was, um, yeah, I think that was the point of the whole launchy group. So it was to explain the battle room. So for those of you who have not read the book, the battle room is a cube and in one side of the cube, like on the right side, there's a uh, hole in the middle where the soldiers will come in. There's about there's 40 people per army, and they have different names like Rat, Phoenix, um, Rabbit. What are some of the other ones? Yep. And um, then the other side is where the other 40 kids come into the room. And then sometimes they have obstacles in the room, and they're called stars. And to me, it sounded like they were big floating cardboard things, but yep. they were immobile. Like they, mm-hmm. like wherever they were stationed in the room is where yep. they would stay. Um, and then... Uh, they also had, uh, and then the winning ceremony is when, uh, if you've defeated the other team, you need to have five people to win the actual game. So you have to have four people touch their helmets to the corner of the enemy's gate. And um, Ender has this big thing of saying he orients himself downwards towards the gate. And I love that idea that uh, he figures out the gravity orientation. Like, I'm going to fall towards the enemy's gate, and that's always going to be my perspective. Uh, and then the fifth person travels through the open gate to uh, complete the victory. And so we just follow. So uh, the launchy thing is all about figuring out they have flash shoots. And if you shoot your gun at an opposing enemy, like that part of the flash suit will freeze. Um, and if you get hit on the non-critical parts of the body, a.k.a. arm or leg, that part will freeze. But when you get hit in the chest, that's when like you will actually become deactivated as a soldier and you can no longer shoot. Um, yep. And then uh, some more like finer details is that when you do get flashed, like that part of your suit goes dead 
um, and it doesn't reflect as much light. And in the battle room, there's different like levels of light. Like it could be a dark or a light room. Um, it could be like a dusk setting where there's a little bit of light. Um, and then you have the stars. And so Ender uses all of his tactical know-how to kind of gain the advantage in any situation. He reads the room. He looks at the stars. He's like, we need to control that star in the corner. We need to control, you know, we need to move along um, these walls because that's where the enemy is and we need to get behind them and basically becomes the ultimate strategist. And what we learn in Salamander Army is that the battle school is all about formations and how we're going to have... And it was, and it's all about that military regiment. Like you have a position, you're supposed to be there. Stop thinking yep. for yourself. Just go to where I tell you to be, and then do what I tell you to do. Yep. And Ender doesn't do that. Um, do you kind of want to describe uh, Ender's like approach to the battle room and his uh, way he sets up his the dragon army? Oh yeah. So like in Salamander, you learn about the formations. And so like throughout the whole time, they're always involved in these formations. And then whenever he becomes an, a commander of dragon army, he's like, no formations. We're not doing any formations. And he like, he takes all of the stuff that he has learned <clears throat> and he just throws it out the window. And he like builds a new system from the ground up. Um, whenever I was in college, I took a class on, classical music it was part of like my humanities core and i had to do a class on like what the history of western music and stuff and one of the things i learned in that class was that like the great composers they had to learn all of the basics and all of the foundations of the music uh like before they could break the rules so like beethoven's a lot of beethoven's symphonies are really impactful because he subverts your expectations about what you think should happen in the piece of music, but he does something different than what the, is typically done uh, in a normal situation. So like, interesting. A, so like, for example, a sonata allegro form is like a style of music and like how to write music. And so like you can write those types of music or you can do something that's different than sonata allegro form, or you can do like half sonata allegro form and then do something different halfway into the piece and change it up. So it's different and more interesting. And so I think like my takeaway from that was that in order to break the rules properly, you have to know what the rules are to begin with so that you can break the rules in a way that are going to, is going to be impactful and is going to be something that, uh, like people remember instead of just like, cause if you just do like willy nilly, like random notes and stuff, like it's not going to make any sense and people aren't going to like it. But if you have like, you understand how the rules should be and then you break them in a way that is um, interesting and, or like it's better than it was before, then it's something that's going to be truly great and going to last the, like the test of time. And you see that with Ender as well. Like he knew all of the rules going through and he learned all the stuff from all of his other teachers. And then he, comes to being a commander and he can break all of the rules in a way that is really impactful because he knew everything beforehand. So he, he knew how to pick it apart and change it and become a better commander. So 
Yeah, when he was under Bonzo, uh, he was, you know, they described him in the practice room. Like, he was forbidden to practice. Um, yeah. And so he was just observing, and they're like, he he was basically dissecting Bonzo's, like, approach to uh, formations, and he was yep. looking at it like an enemy commander. How yep. He constantly says, how can I disrupt this formation? Yep. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's very much like what you were saying. Um, but yeah, Ender does have some good teachers along the way. Um, yes. You know, going back to what you were saying, like how you kind of need to learn the basics. So he learned the basics of shooting from Petra. Um, Petra is the uh, one of the only, I think, the only female student that we hear of in the uh, yeah. in the book, and she teaches Ender how to shoot. And she describes to him that um, you need to keep the flash like uh, on it, like on the person for just like like a third of a second, maybe not like a whole second, but it's not like you can just like zap them once and they're done. She's like, you have to focus in and you have to like really concentrate if you're going for that long distance shooting. So he like understood like that part of it. And then he works with Dink Meeker when he gets transferred to Rat Army and Rat Army is winning. They're in second place and Dink is... Um, Dink is a guy who was trying to be advanced in the battle school, but he kept refusing to be a commander. Um, so what yep. he does is he just takes on being a toon leader within Rat Army, and he and it's actually described as like two different armies. Like uh, Dink has his army of like ten people, and uh, Rat Army is the rest of the people. And Dink requests Ender, and he was picked up because. Um, Ender's running all these launchy sessions. He's practicing stuff with, um, and yep. he's becoming, you know, forming an elite group of launchies. And Dink kind of trains him, like, how to act in the formation, like, what you should be doing. And, um, yep. and, and like you said, Tyler, like, that's another piece. So, like, the, the individual piece was, I need to be able to shoot. I need to be good at what I do. And then it's bumped up with Dink into the small tactics, like how can I make my tune successful? And then uh, then he's uh, moved into Dragon Army, which he's given 40 um, kids, and he's not allowed to trade any of them. He's given what he's given. And then he's taken what he's learned with like Petra and Dink, and now he's saying, I have a whole army. I need to train them to be like me. They need to be good at yep. shooting. They need to be good at um, working in small groups. But what Ender does, which is so cool and so much better, is he says he relinquishes control, which is like another way of humility, like saying, like, I have I have chosen people to be my tune leaders and they have yes. seconds and like I can trust them. Yep. And what you don't what you see in Bonzo is he has no trust. He yep. does not he <clears throat> does not expect his army to do anything um, amazing. He just yep. says, You better be where I told you to be, or you're gonna be in trouble. And um, Ender's army is not like that. He says, yep. you know, I've created these tunes and I'm going to give them autonomy. Like once, like I'm going to give them an idea of what to do and I'm going to send them out and they're going to do amazing things. And, you know, Mazer Rackham <clears throat> talks about that at the end of the book that we, you know, um, spoiler, we're going to talk about the buggers. The buggers have a hive mind and like one person makes the decision and they all act in unison to fill that uh, decisions and what Mazer says is as human beings we have individual people who are talented and useful and it, and you can use 
Um, you can overwhelm the buggers because you have like six people making decisions versus like one person. And if yep. six people versus one person in, in you know, that kind of ex like a battle or exchange, like you're going to have, you know, if you have six intelligent people versus one really intelligent person, they're going to be able to, um, you know, make decisions for their little pocket of the war so that they win like the entire um, yeah. or the little pocket of the battle so that they can win the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I loved you talking about like the the different like levels of say so of like soldier, squad leader, commander, and then like full fleet commander. So like Ender goes through all the little stages of like being a leader in some way. Um, yeah, and I love what you said about like how Bonso doesn't like he wants all the power for himself and he doesn't want anybody. He doesn't trust anybody else to like make decisions. But like the the important thing that Ender learns is that if you you have to trust your other like leaders and your other squad people to make their own decisions or else like they're never going to like take ownership of what they're doing. So yep. like you have to give them like the, uh, like the freedom to make decisions. And if they have the freedom to do that, then they're going to try their best and be the best that they can be. If they're like, if you're always like pushing them under, under your thumb of power, like they're never going to like try anything new or think outside the box or just, you know, do anything that could uh, like disrupt the way that things are already done. So there's always just like, you must do the way, I, the thing that I said and the way I said it in any other way is not good. So there's like, there's no room for creativity and there's no room for, discovering new things about how to shoot people or how to like be defensive or how to like uh you know get to the uh get to the get to the gate down you know so there's just and, no and uh, and as a person who has been micromanaged um oh, yeah. in my life uh that you know that is a way to debilitate someone and to um so i have read a book called um boundaries and leadership by townsend and cloud and they say, um, if you want your, you know, if you're leading people, give them control. They say people crave control. Um, and, you know, that is a form of trust saying, like, I've given you this responsibility. And like you said, like, we want you to run with it and be creative. But as soon like, um, and there was another thing I was listening to, and I forget where I heard it. But if, like, you should tell people what they need to do, but you shouldn't be controlling about how they do it and that yes. was the thing like if i was just given tasks to do um in that job like i could accomplish them but i was required to do them in a way that was like against my way of thinking and it was hard for me and i couldn't always you know do it the right way but um but that did cause a lot of growth and god does say yeah. that we should listen to our bosses um and follow them so that's what i did and it grew me but it was very tough. Um, I actually got shingles at one point because I was <laughs> had that uh, psychosomatic reaction to the amount of stress that I was under. Not fun. Don't recommend it. But on but on the other side of things, I have been developed a lot. Um, so I am thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing, like you said, like whenever you do things yourself, you like you force yourself to learn. So like you may like do something one way and you're like, Oh, that wasn't the optimal way to do it. I could have done it another way. Or I see a way that I could have done it. That would made maybe have been more efficient or I would have got a better end result than what I did beforehand. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of like benefits to like giving people ownership of their own like job and their own, what they're supposed to be responsible for. That way they like, 
they take risks and they try to make things as as good as they can possibly be because nobody like wants to just be inefficient just to be inefficient like nobody's like I want to see how I want to take as long as I possibly can to do X tasks. So I'm just like wasting my time. Like I've known a person that I think that is actually like that because uh, they, uh, I think they consider it job security. Okay. Well, (laughs) sorry. I just had to throw that in. There are some weird psychologies out there. Yeah. There's exceptions to every, every rule, but I think we had an example of this as well. in. um, Elantris whenever um Serini tells the what's the little posse they were in the little the little group that she was a part of to overthrow the king he she was telling them that to have their servants take ownership of different pieces of land so that they would be like they'd be able to take a portion of what they made Mm, back to their home now that you said it um so that was like an example of like giving people who work for you ownership of different portions of the business and then like giving them an incentive to be as good as they possibly can so that like she said, they can take a percentage of what they uh, farmed out of the ground and they could keep it instead of giving it to the Lord or whoever it was. So that's like an incentive to have them find the most efficient way and the most effective way to do whatever job it is that they have. Um, and Ender does that really good in Dragon Army. He gives all of his um, squadron or toon leaders like the autonomy yeah, to do things. Yeah, leaders, and then, and then he also like when he goes to command school. Yeah, toon leaders. So he and then he also doesn't like sometimes he would just not even come to practice. He would let his toon leaders run practice, and he would go and study film of the the wars in the previous years. So like he was the still wars. yeah. So he was. Uh, empowering his tune leaders to become almost like little mini commanders. So he was giving them that responsibility so they could become better leaders while he was still improving his own self as a, as a, like a large scale commander by studying like the actual wars that had happened previously. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of really cool, interesting things within this book, like on how to just like be a good leader and how to delegate um, tasks to people and how to empower people to do better and all these different things. There's just so many little like nuances and stuff. Like he had like that secret special group that was like, okay, these five people, you're going to be like my super special squad. And whenever I need oh, to yeah. do something Bean, insane, Beans group. Mm-hmm. yeah, like he has Bean be this leader of like the super insane, like, like a, uh, what'd you call it? Like Delta squad or something like the elite. Yeah. Yeah. Elite. Like, like special, special ops. Yeah. Um, special ops. Like they're going to, yeah, so at one point, like, uh, being, uh, they're, they're being outnumbered, I think. I think it's in the battle. So the, the teachers, we talked about this in the last podcast, the teachers had planned this progression for Ender to take him from a normal battle, like one army, his 40 kids, Ender's 40 kids in Dragon Army versus the other army, and then they, like, create this progression. And it's not like a normal progression. So normally they have three months to prepare. Ender gets three and a half weeks. He goes into battle. And then, um, you know, he's having multiple battles a day. There's um, times when the battle room is so full of stars. And then on top of that, there being so full of stars, the enemies actually unfreeze, which is a new part in the game. Um, And then there's like, then there's, Two, then uh, they get late notification and Ender comes into a room that's already, this is Bonzo's army, so this is Salamander, where, um, 
you know, they're already in there and they're around the gate where Ender's army is about to come out. So if Ender's army comes out, they're going to get slaughtered because there's just 40 people ready to shoot at them. And Ender figures out this way to turn his uh, his army into armored tanks. Yeah, yeah. he like puts uh, like crazy Tom. Yeah, he puts Crazy Tom and Bean together, the tallest and the smallest. And Bean is is given both guns, and he's like, ah, he like yeah. gets thrown out in there, and, and Bean's like, bow, 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 shooting all of them, and they just like had a team hoisting people into the room, and yeah. they still won that battle, which was yeah. really cool. Because um, they were like, like all sitting um, ducks, they were just standing there like waiting, and they didn't have any like, they're just like, there's no cover for them, and they just got, they got wasted. They got wasted. Yeah. Um, he had to fight two armies at then, once one time. Um, yep. And uh and so and then that's building for the ultimate battle. So at that point, um they just went directly for the gate. They said, "We there's no way that we can, you know, beat these two armies at once." Yes. So we're going to do we're going to make a bold move and we're just going to go like straight for the gate. And they touch their four helmets and then they like go through. Um yep. And they made some crazy formation to do that. Basically, I think of like a matrix of kids with like the um, with the payload with the yeah. you know the people who are going to go. It was like a little little shield, and they all like kind of huddled together and went through the through the room. Yeah. Oh, but I love the some of the descriptions that they have. Like they were wall sliding and they were getting behind people, and um, that was yep. really cool. And that all leads up to Ender getting into battle school. So after command, so school. Ender has these crazy this, uh, yeah, command school. Sorry, uh, that's what I meant to say. Um, and he uh, has all these crazy battles, and then he's basically burned out. In the last battle, he's just like, like he sees he's outnumbered, and he still figures it out. And he's kind of broken for a few months, and he goes back to Earth. Um, and then he gets uh, sent yep. to Eros, which is a planet that's been blacked out by the buggers in the se- second or first uh, war. And yeah, I uh, that's where all the buggers' secrets are, are <clears throat> held. Um, they learned about blacking out planets to absorb <clears throat> energy, and they also like played the buggers played with gravity there, and that's how they were able to make the battle rooms the way that they were. Because they're uh, supposedly like when the um, kids enter the gate, there's supposed to be some like centripetal <clears throat> force around that field where it goes mm-hmm. from like normal gravity in the hallway to like the zero gravity in the battle room. Um, but like they had a way to make a force field, so it was like as soon as you cross this line, you're in null gravity, um, and and that was beyond you know human capabilities before they discovered the buggers. Um, so what did you think about um, the introduction of I think it's Shem Rajnagar, uh, the leader of Command School, and he talks to Graf about Graf bringing Ender uh, to Command School, and they have this big long flight on. Um, on a ship, and then they tell that captain of that ship that he has to live oh, on yeah. Eros until the end of the war. The uh, not happy. The I think it was the pilot. The pilot. He was like, "You have to stay here from now on." Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was not very happy about that. Um, I don't really remember a ton about that guy. I don't think because well. Oh yeah, well he was just the commander of the batter school. <laughs> I think he had like one part in it. Like we don't get information about him like we did with graph like with graph we got all like the the behind the scenes like him talking to all the different commanders about what was going on at the battle school and what he was trying to get ender to do we don't really get any of that with uh the commander of the uh the 
the leader of the commander school. I don't know what his what his title was, but yeah, I think I just I liked the command school because he got to have the re the reunite reuniting of all of his like friends and all of the best soldiers from battle school. So I thought that was like a really good kind of like he was so spent and like pushed to such limits in the battle school that it was good for him to like here's all of the like all of the people that I poured into all of the people that I taught and I um, like made them better soldiers or all and the people that, that poured he into trusted me, um, and like all of these people are now coming back together and they're like essentially the best of the best and they're all the best squadrons or all the best soldiers and he he gets now he gets to lead all these now people and these computer simulations and then ones that turn out to be actual real battles. Um, so yeah, I think I just like that kind of yes. reuniting of all of those different characters that we got to see throughout the story. It was a good, good feel good moment for me. Yeah, it was definitely fun to see them all um, come back together and a lie goes. Um, Salam, I think is the first right. thing he says um, at peace. But yeah, so just a little bit about command school. So we learn on the uh, track to Eros that there is a technology called the Ansible, which is basically instantaneous communication. And uh, they tell Ender about that. And what we learn is that the squadrons that have left uh, Earth after the second invasion and go to the buggers' home planets, we actually can see their locations and they're transmitting data back to Eros um, mm -hmm. the IF command center and they have real time like it's, they have five of these simulators which um, the uh, ships are dots of light and Enders like can move around the battle he can reposition himself he can look at different things from different angles and he um, learns it again Tyler like you said like ground up he was able to fly with one of the old ships and uh, then he was yep. learned to fly with two of those ships and then and then he was four, and then he was commanding like squadrons, and then he was commanding a whole army. Uh, so again, we have that progression of him learning the individual parts so that he can conduct the whole symphony. He had to learn yep. how each little part worked um, so that he can figure out a way to win. Um, and so the Ansible makes it possible. And so at this point in the book, uh, he's training on the simulator. And then like we said, when he asked Graf's, uh, Graf, does the... Um, you know, does it get any harder? He can play the simulator on 15 different levels. Graf says, oh, well, I'll look into that. And then that's <laughs> when Graf goes away. Yep. And Mazer Rackham comes in and they have their little battle in the room. Um, and that is when Ender actually begins commanding the Earth squadron that left after the Second War. And they are fighting the buggers in real time across time and space. Um, yep. You know, and they have... Uh, a uh, weapon called Doctor Device or Molecular Something Device, MD yeah. Device became Doctor Device. And basically, yep. I love the way Mazer describes it. He was like, you know, nuclear weapons were so weak that they could be used on Earth. You know, you could never use Doctor Device on Earth because basically what it does is it creates a field where atoms break apart. And if they like, it's like a contagion. If like those molecules spread to other molecules, then it yeah, just it's like a chain reaction. Becoming this yeah, it's a chain reaction, like bigger and bigger and bigger. And so um, yep. any matter, because, you know, space is a void. So the ships were matter. And if they were clustered close 
together. Ender can blow them all up in one shot, which is what he does in the first battle with the real buggers. And then there's this progression of different um, battles, and they keep getting harder and harder. Um, and, and Ender the whole time thinks it's Mazer fighting against them. He's like, Mazer, you're reading my mind. Um, and this is also when Ender starts having bad dreams and starts, um, like not sleeping well. And he keeps reliving his worst memories, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and he, and he can't get past that. And he's always like, am I awake? Am I sleeping? Um, yeah. And that's kind of the progression for, uh, command school. Yeah. Any other thoughts on command school there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it was um, it was harder in like a different sense than battle school was because like battle school, I think, was like physically exhausting for him because he was always in the battles and always um, like two battles at the same time or in, in one day and all of this different stuff. But I think commander school was more it was like more mentally and emotionally draining because of like the amount of hours that the the battles took because i think i think at one point it said something like this battle took like 10 hours or like something insane like that where it's like the amount of like mental fortitude you have to have to perform at a high level for that length of time is just insane because you know like like who can be at the height of in the peak of their mental prowess for that long like most people can't even do that for like a few hours and he has to like do this for five, six, seven, ten hours and, you know, still be like the best commander in the history of the world and still beat the buggers who are, you know, and they still learn from their mistakes, right? Like they didn't make the mistake of clumping all their ships together again because he did it in the first battle. Like they, now they knew like, Oh, we're not going to do that again. Um, so like the buggers are always learning. So he always has to think of new ideas and how to beat them. And, uh, yeah, it's just like emotionally draining because he's, and he always tries to like be the best. Like he tries to lose the least amount of ships, but he realizes he can't win if he tries to always just like conserve his ships. Like sometimes he has to sacrifice ships to accomplish some kind of victory that he needs to do. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of like it's a lot of like mental wearing on him that is really and, and not to mention that Mazer is like giving yeah. him a hard time after yeah, every exactly. battle because Mazer actually like he knows people on those ships we don't know that you know at the beginning but like they when he got up to his relevant relativistic speed for 50 years to come back to be uh ender's you know uh, mentor only eight years past in um a normal timeline well those people have been traveling across the galaxy so every time he loses a ship mazer is like you cannot do that you must you know you must not lose ships and yeah, they just put him under an incredible mental yep. strain. Yeah, which it, it, it's hard for him to lose ships too because they have a finite amount of ships. Because, but he doesn't really know that because he thinks it's like a computer simulation. So to to his mind, he's like, "Oh well, I can just sacrifice ships because they're just it's not real ships, right?" So there's and like that, that was the whole point is that they were training him to be to make those decisions yep. and they said at the end you know ender you had to be the perfect weapon we aimed yep. you we pointed you at the enemy but you could never know because you couldn't yep. do it if you knew um yep. and i and if and yeah and we know that ender has he has empathy and he has a big heart yep. and he 
if he had known he was going to basically commit genocide and wipe out an entire yeah. species, even if they were hostile, I don't think he, he would have done it. No, I don't he wouldn't have done it. Yeah. That no. wouldn't have been an Ender's character. Yeah. So speaking of that, he gets to like the final battle, right? And he's like, I think they said it was like 10,000 to one or like a thousand to one in his odds. Like the ship Yeah, counts. like a thousand to one. Yeah. So like he's on like these massive, crazy odds and which is crazy because you you basically get that exact same scenario when he's in dragon army and they put two armies against him and he has to make like this mad dash he's just a, he's like i basically just have to go for the goal and the objective i can't worry about any of the soldiers i'm going to lose i can't worry about any anything that's going to be collateral damage my sole thing my sole objective is to defeat this to get to the very the very center and the in the big prize at the very uh middle in, in the home world and so like he had like he gets to reuse like a situation that he had previously had in battle school and he gets to reuse it in a real life and real battle um of course the stakes are like infinitely higher in the in the real battle because it's real people that are dying and it's uh <laughs> real enemies that are dying the queens of the buggers who are actually sentient creatures that he's murdering essentially um but yeah it's just like the stakes are insanely and, and you high know what's, yeah and then also there's uh, a scene in battle school when he first gets dragon army and uh he asks what is our attack position and bean flips off the wall and then all the other kids are like doing the same thing and he said you know like there may be a time in my future when i need a, a complete like unbalancing attack against an enemy force that could be useful and that is also a thing that he deploys so he's got his like core of ships and he said like the buggers like have learned to respect me so they allow so with humans uh, the objective in all the other missions were to make sure that we had as many people alive at the end and at this mission yep. like uh, he said that like the buggers kind of defeated themselves because they believe that whatever you know humans did they must have a way out and they did not realize that in certain times that humans will sacrifice themselves for a greater good and I'm kind of getting chills right now because like I'm thinking about how you know God you know came as the sacrifice for our imperfections and and took mm -hmm. that upon himself and like that's what we're called to do and the and the men and those and women on those ships that have yep. crossed the universe and have found their way to the bugger world and they have to go in and do this amazing thing um and then ender uses his knowledge from the previous games like you said he has these he makes this formation like basically like this cylinder of ships and then they all spread out and they start attacking and then they recollect and there's only like 12 of them, but they're on the other side and they're closer towards the planet. And then they just make a mad dash for the planet. And then in the final battle, they unleash Dr. Device against the planet. And at first there's nothing. And then the surface of the bugger planet starts to bubble and boil. And it just comes this huge explosion taking out all of the bugger ships. Remember, it was like a thousand to one ships. Um, and Ender, you know, he's, he rehearsed in his mind. He was like, I thought they were playing unfair when they yeah. sent me in against two, you know, two armies at once. Um, but those were the actual odds. And the enemy is always stronger than you are, is I think what Mazur would say. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and then once that happens, there's a big celebration. People are um, excited, and uh, yep. everyone's celebrating. And and yep. Ender is just like, "What's going on? I feel like I played a dirty trick, and I won in a cheap yeah. way. Why is everyone?" Well, he thought know, it was like his his like final test or whatever. Oh yeah, that's he right. didn't think mm-hmm. it was like a <laughs> yeah. He just thought it was like, oh, everyone's here to watch me to make sure I pass my test or whatever. But turns out it was a little bit more important than a final test. Yeah. It's, I did find it a little convenient that every bugger had returned to the bugger home world. <laughs> that is the one, there always the one has part to be of the sci-fi that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one part I was like. They're, so the like the buggers have spread across galaxies, like they are yeah. Earth, like like planet harvesters. Yeah. So, but how would they like, know ah. that all the how would they know that all the buggers came back? Huh? Yeah, some buggers are still out there. <laughs> Remember? Yep. So, um, yeah. Whenever they described the like the planet exploding, I was I thought about. I don't know if you watched the the Marvel show Loki on disney plus i did yeah you did okay so yeah there's that scene whenever they go to that uh planet loki and sylvie and they're trying to get off on that ship and the whole pl- oh the whole moon explodes or whatever you remember that scene oh yeah that's what i kind mm-hmm, of pictured yep. the their planet doing is like just splitting in half and like debris of like big pieces of planet falling that's kind of how i mm-hmm. uh envisioned it so i'm sure it was a uh, an incredible scene to witness if you were actually physically there in person with all those ships but yeah, yeah it would just look like a bunch of death coming towards you oh <laughs> uh, yeah for sure but yeah i don't know i just the the crazy thing about the story is just like how much deception there was involved to get ender to where he was in the story cuz like basically his whole like ever since he met Mazerak, I'm like the whole that whole portion of the story has just been like a big lie to him, and they're just. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, but the the problem you have is that he wouldn't have done the things he did if he had known that these were real life battles with real people in them, and yeah, I don't know it's crazy. Um, you were also talking about the uh, like the odds of the battle, and I think that could be sometimes like a good. Like it can be a parallel for like maybe sometimes in the Christian life, how we think sometimes the odds are always against us and like, there's so much evil in the world and like, how can, um, like Christianity like survive and how can we spread the gospel whenever there's so much like hate in the world and, um, like, you know, there's stuff going on in Afghanistan and there's just a lot of stuff in the world that's just bad and there's just no good. There's lots of Um, brokenness. That's for sure. Yeah, so like sometimes we can just feel like the odds are like not in our favor. May the odds be ever in your favor from the Hunger Games. <laughs> um, but like in the end, you know, like God's going to have victory over the darkness and over death and over Satan. And like he, Satan is the ruler of this world right now. But that's right. There will come a time where he will be defeated and he will be destroyed for all eternity. And he'll be cast into the lake of fire and um everything will be right when the world he'll be tetelestide yeah there you go 
go listen to the last episode to see that reference. Um, yeah, but I think that's just like a good and like encouragement. Like the odds can sometimes feel like they're not in your favor, but what's that? What's that phrase? Take heart. I have overcome the world or something. That's a quote from Jesus somewhere in one of the gospels. I don't remember which where, but yeah, I don't remember exactly how that one goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about like the very end of the story. Um, so the last chapter is called speaker for the dead. And basically what happens is at the end of the story, Ender is, he goes off onto some distant planet. Um, that was one of the bugger worlds. Um, and he becomes like a colonist. Um, I think his original intention was to go back to earth because he just wanted to go home and be with like people again. But Valentine comes up to space to meet him and she's like, you can't come back. Peter's going to try and use you because you're like a genius military commander and he'll just use you to take over the world and you'll just be like another pawn of Peter again. And you don't want that in your life. So she convinces him to stay away from earth and just to explore the stars and to, yeah. And there's even like some legislation, like it's called like the lock, um, the oh, lock yeah. accord or something like that where yes. um it's actually better for ender to stay up in space and not because there's going to be a big fight over who ender's yep. allegiance is pledged to if he goes yep. back to earth so he becomes a colonist yeah um yeah so i don't know i so we get like the colonist stuff and they're going on this planet and he's there for a while and there's another that ship that's coming to uh, settle on the same planet that they're on. And they ask them to go like find a new location for this settlement that they're going to have. And they come to this place on this planet that looks exactly like the scene that is in the mind game in the computer that he played with. It's the with. giant's corpse. Yeah, the giant's corpse. So it's like it's the same scene, but it's in real life. And he says that the buggers built it for him. And I'm not, I don't know. Maybe you're more clear on this than I was. I was kind of unclear as to how they were able to like understand, like get into his mind essentially and see what he was seeing. And yeah, I do have some thoughts on that. So my, my understanding of that is so when, so when, Ender is with Mazer Rackham. That means he's fighting against the actual buggers. And we talked about earlier how he was having bad dreams about reliving the worst parts of his life. Um, and he also had dreams about the buggers and them vivisecting him. So in some way, in some capacity, they had been mentally linked to Ender. And they were able okay. to read his life and they were able to see his memories. And they saw those memories from the mind game where he defeated okay, the giant yeah. and it became part of the corpse. And uh, and then we didn't go into this detail, but there was like a swing set and there's these kids that turned into wolves and that, I mean, that has a lot of, you know, like, you know, sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing. Like, you know, yes. he, you know, Ender has this list. He actually keeps a list of people who are, as he defines them, actually human beings in the battle school because he feels like he's surrounded by people and he doesn't know who to trust. And that's kind of how it is in the world. Like when you're meeting yeah. people, for you know, people have track records and, you know, you can, you know, the best 
predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And yep. so if you've known someone for a long time, you know what to expect from them. But when you're meeting someone that you don't know, um, you know, they could be dangerous. You don't you don't know. Or they or they could be God people and they could be really helpful and awesome. Yeah. Um, but in, in this situation where, you know, he's in the battle school, he is surrounded by pride, which is, you know, Lucifer's major, you know, the, the I have to have it my way. And, you know, they see threat when Ender is winning and winning and winning. And he's surrounded by these people. And that was kind of the analogy with like these kids being wolves. So he sees the giant's corpse. He sees the swing set. And then he kind of sees the tower. Um where he fought those snakes that were like Peter. Um, and then he goes into the tower, and that's where he finds... Yeah, he finds this mirror that I think was typically a reflection of Peter that he would always have to look at. And there was something behind the mirror. And at first, I think he thought, like, maybe they lured him here to, like, kill him or whatever, and it was going to be, like, a bomb or something like and that. And he was willing to go to that. He yeah, said, exactly. I've He was like, that's fine. I've I done. deserve it. So... Yep. He was willing to take that retaliation from them if that's what they wanted. Um, but he was just basically like, I'm just here, whatever the buggers like have for me, like I'm gonna uh experience or I'm gonna come and find figure out what was what what what, what they were gonna leave. I me. have earned whatever is yes. here. Whatever they've yeah. left for me, I've earned it was kind yeah. of his approach. Yeah. So he pulls back this mirror and behind the mirror there is a a fertilized like egg that is a queen bugger and so he i think he was basically i don't think this is what he actually saw but it was like in his mind he could see like what would happen in the future of like oh yeah mm-hmm. something around along those lines where he was like he could give the pl- plant the bugger somewhere and they could be prosperous and all of this stuff and, so he, and one other key thing with that was um, he also felt that their sorrow, yes. like they didn't know that they were. Oh, like, yes. Um, there was so like the, the mind, there was like the that, mind link that they had there when he touched it. Yeah. And uh, one of the big things we didn't talk about was how Mazer Rackham defeated the bugger fleet in the second invasion was that he discovered that there was a central point where all decisions, all tactical decisions were being made. And it turned out that was the queen leading the invasion. And yep. Mazer, after studying the the bugger formations for so long, he attacks the one little ship that moves exactly yep. like all the other ships. And all of the other um, ships just deactivate and they are no longer thinking. They, their bodies are still moving, the you know, but they no yep. longer have a will. So that was the whole thing is that the buggers were like um, these, you know, they were, it was a hive mind and only queens, um, you know, the they were the ones minds. that made the decision. Yeah. Yeah, were the sentient minds. And so uh, Ender gets this fertilized egg. Um, and then what the buggers didn't realize is that Um, You know, they say that like each human has their own genetic future. And they said when they killed, you know, the people on Eros, they thought they were just trimming the fingernails of the bigger, you know, hive mind. They didn't realize that each person was in charge of their own life and their own destiny. Um, And and then when the buggers discovered that through their mental link with Ender, they felt incredibly sorry. And they said, like, you know, I wish we had just been, you know, I wish we had been able to communicate and you know, Ender has wiped out their entire species, but they have left this one yep. one egg and one communication yeah. for Ender. Yeah, and there was like a regret that he could tell from that 
that mental link where it was like they realized their mistake and they weren't they weren't going to invade a third time and but they were like oh yeah the humans exactly. are going to they're not going to forgive us because of what we did and they can't blame them essentially so they're like this is just what we brought upon ourselves because we didn't understand and but at the same time the humans also don't understand what they're doing and they don't understand um that they're going to be murdering the queens and those are sentient beings as well so like the whole war and like this whole like first contact experience between humans and the buggers was like it was a problem of communication and like that's a such a great parallel for just like things in life like how many like bad situations or even murderous situations are a result of like just poor communication and people not talking and people not understanding how the other person is thinking or how the other person is feeling about a situation and there's just a lot of times in where you can be like on two completely different pages with somebody because you're not communicating properly and that can just be like a, a recipe for disaster in certain in relationships and you know it's i think it's just oh, yeah. like, such a I great mean, parallel you know, although the stakes are way higher in this kind of a story and yeah and, and you know you just saying that i mean we're, we're both married um you know and the relationship between the husband and wife is um something that constantly needs to be nurtured and there has to be constant healthy communication um yep. otherwise you know the relationship cannot thrive um if there's um you know just a lot you know i think you're supposed to i've read about your uh, emotional piggy bank and like yep. you constantly need to be uh feeding the other person if you've heard of like the five love languages like gift giving physical contact um yep words of affirmation um those are ways to fill the yep. other person's um like love tank and you know we are always you know supposed to be called to do that um and, and to love one another and i think a lot of times you know i even read a book that said like a lot of times people are in violent agreement and so like like yes like uh, i was reading the scenario in that book was like you know this kid did something wrong and they should be punished and both of the parents agreed on that but they were just getting into the into the weeds about when the punishment should take place like they are both agreeing yeah. that the same thing needs to happen um yeah. but like they just lack the communication skills one to realize <laughs> that they were agreeing about the same thing and two like how to reach like a compromise i mean we like human beings are built to be in relationships uh like that's how god designed us that's why he's um the tr the trinity like the the father mm -hmm. the son and the holy ghost like we are made to be in relationships and yeah. the best way that we can be in 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 relationships is through communications being able to um talk to one another with you know as i mentioned before truth and grace um, and uh, in a way that we can understand one another because so much conflict happens and so much hurt happens because of bad communication, no communication, poor communication. And I think it's all, it, you know, it's incumbent, incumbent upon all of us to improve our communication skills so that we can, um, you know, work towards the thing that God wants us to do. Because if you have bad communication skills and you <laughs> piss off everyone you talk to, you're, you're not living yeah. the way that God wants you to live <clears throat> in harmony with others. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, good discussion. So, that, like, basically, the towards the end of the story, in the very few last few pages, you have Ender, who was the one who 
basically genocided their whole race. He f- he gets to find and he gets to be the one who can speak for the dead. He can speak for the the buggers and he can tell their story and what actually happened from uh, the first wars and the war that Ender was involved in. And so he writes this book called Speaker for the Dead and it just tells basically the story of of the buggers from their perspective like it's telling it um as if he were writing as a bugger and it's telling them telling the humans what who they were as people and like what their race was all about and all of the like the beauty and stuff about them and it gets like disseminated on earth and i guess it says like almost every human on earth had read the book or something um and so and lots of colonists that were going to new planets had read the book yep um so it just seems like it's a very encouraging story at the very end to just like there's there can be a time for like a new birth and a re like a recoming together between these two peoples and there can be like a new uh like a new appreciation for each of them um after both races had done so much harm to the other one now they can like come together in a way and um but ender he has this like queen larva egg thing and he's basically just waiting and looking for the right place and the right time to um like put it out into the world so that they can repopulate um and like start a new civilization again um so i don't know there probably has to be something where like the people of humanity have to be ready for that situation and they have to be like ready to say, you know, we're like, we're not going to attack the buggers anymore. Like we're going to be together on the same side and we're going to try and communicate and understand each other and all these different things. I'm sure like in the future books that he wrote, it deals with a little bit more of that stuff, but yeah, I'm interested to see where that storyline goes. I'm not sure how the speaker of the dead, um, what's in that book. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd love to read that book. I've had it for a while on my shelf, but I've just never gotten around to reading it. So um, I've heard a lot of people say that that's pages of light in the future, in the future. Yes. Um, But I think he said in the in the introduction to this book um, that he originally wrote Ender's Game as like a prequel to Speaker of the Dead, which is the story that he really wanted to write. Um, So that just makes me really intrigued of like what he was planning to write with the speaker of the dead. And like Ender's game is such a great book just by itself. So I'm just, I'm just interested to see like how, like does it go to a next level? I've heard it's a little bit more like philosophical and it's less um, like character and action kind of driven like Ender's game was. So sure. It'll just be like a different tone, a different style of, uh, of story so mm-hmm. um but yeah i'm sure it'll, it'll it'll be just as good um if we get around to reading that so yeah i don't know that's basically the end of the story did you have any like last thoughts on just the book as a whole and uh yeah if you haven't read ender's game go out and buy it um or you know find some way to read it or experience it um yeah i i saw the movie um I thought the movie was pretty good. It was pretty true to the book, but I'm really glad that I read Ender's Game and then watched the the movie. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, if, if you haven't, and it's not as long as uh, a Brandon Sanderson book. <laughs> it's like it's true. It's nowhere like near the length of a little his. over 200 pages. So. so, so it's a nice, like easier read. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend um, checking it out. I think that's, that's what I'd like to say. Awesome. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Pages of Light podcast. Um, the next episode, I think, should be in two weeks from now. And I think that's when we're going to kick off our discussions of Dune because the Dune movie is coming out at the end of September, I'm pretty sure. Like the last week of September is when that's supposed to come out. Hopefully, it doesn't get delayed. And I've always wanted to read Dune. And so now I have an excuse to do it because the movie's coming out because the movie looks amazing. And I want to be um, like ready to read that and pick out all the little Easter eggs and little things that you would find that only people who yeah, have read the cool. book would find. Um, uh, I can give a plug, though, for uh, a comic series that's coming out right now that is like a prequel to the Dune. It's called uh, Dune House of Trades. It's getting released right now in comics. So if you want to get like your feet with feet wet with Dune and you like comic books, I would check that out. It's a pretty good story. So um, that's my that was actually my first introduction to Dune. So I would recommend that. Um, yeah. So check out our website, pagesoflight.com. You can go see our blog there and links to our YouTube and the podcast and all that stuff will be there. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow us on all sorts of our social media platforms. You can follow me personally on Parlor at I am Tyler Thomas or on Goodreads. And you can follow Gabe at NeighborhoodNerdServices.com. And links for all of those things will be in the description, of course. You can, so you can go click on all of those things. And you can also make sure to leave a review on your podcast app, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And yeah, tell a friend if you've enjoyed Ender's Game and you've enjoyed these uh, discussions on the book. So Just tell one. Just tell one person. Just Everybody tell, tell one. one person and we'll double our viewership. So yeah, thanks you for That's any right. of the support you can give us. Uh, thanks for listening. Remember to keep reading and share the gospel with somebody this week. And we will see you guys in the next episode.